8, 6 p.m., and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, August 18th, 2021. I'm Kelly Reese, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. On tonight's California Report, the State Attorney General's Office will review the actions of a former BART officer involved with the 2009 killing of Oscar Grant and a look at Sacramento nonprofit World Relief helping Afghan refugees come to the U.S. We'll take a brief look at local headlines and weather before Felton Pruitt speaks to Nevada City Chamber of Commerce Executive Director Stuart Baker. We close this evening with a commentary from Chaplain Norris Burks. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. Dangerous fire weather over the last two days has allowed flames from several wildfires to fan across Northern California. In El Dorado County, just east of Sacramento, the Caldor Fire has exploded in size over the last day to at least 23,000 acres. The fire leveled much of the town of Grizzly Flats in the Sierra foothills, destroying several structures, including homes and a school. At least two people from that town were seriously injured in the fire. Mike Blankenheim, a battalion chief with CAL FIRE, says they're doing their best to give as much advance notice as possible for people who are forced to leave their homes. We make the decisions based on where the fire is, where it's going and that kind of thing, and we want to get out ahead of it in front of enough to make sure people have plenty of time to get out of an area in a safe and organized manner. So we try to get out three or four, four or five, five or six hours ahead of when we think a fire is going to actually impact a community before we put that order in place. But Blankenheim says the fire is growing so rapidly that it may be best for residents to leave even if they're only under an evacuation warning. The area is under a red flag warning until 8 o'clock this evening. Meanwhile, the Dixie Fire continues to advance towards several communities in the North State. The blaze is threatening the cities and towns of Susanville, Janesville, and Milford. If people there haven't left their homes, they're being told to prepare to do so. Because of hazardous conditions, the utility PG&E has shut off power to tens of thousands of its customers across Northern California in an effort to prevent its equipment from starting a wildfire. Well, the state attorney general's office is going to independently review the actions of a former BART police officer who was involved but was never criminally charged in the 2009 shooting of Oscar Grant. KQED's Suki Lewis reports. 24-year-old Grant was fatally shot in the back at the Fruitvale BART station by Officer Johannes Meserly, who was later convicted of manslaughter. Now, more than a decade later, the state DOJ says it will look into a second involved officer, Anthony Peroni. Grant's mother, Wanda Johnson. Nothing can bring my son back, but my family sure can help other families. And that's what our goal is. Bart fired Peroni, finding his aggressive and improper actions contributed to a chaotic scene leading to Grant's shooting. Peroni's lawyer didn't immediately respond to a request for comment. For the California Report, I'm Suki Lewis. Thousands of people in Afghanistan are trying to flee the country after Taliban forces took control this weekend. Many are looking to come to the U.S. and organizations say they're willing to help. That includes the nonprofit World Relief, which has an office in Sacramento. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi spoke with the organization's director, Carrie Ham about what the future might look like for those who do get out. There is a process of resettlement that, that is really broken into two parts. First, someone has to be referred or applied 
or, or applies to to be resettled in the United States as a refugee. And there are a lot of checks and uh, processes of who can apply and who is eligible. Uh, second, a very extensive process overseen by uh, the Department of State to make sure that everyone is uh, safe and who they say they are. That second part is here in the United States where people begin their new life uh, and go through the process of moving to a new location, finding housing, enrolling children in school, uh, getting identification and connection to services, employment, and uh, many things that go into what it means to, you know, begin to live normally in a new home. With what we're seeing in Afghanistan right now, do you believe that the most challenging part for the refugees there is just getting out of the country to begin with? Right. What is happening in Afghanistan is is definitely a little bit of a different situation. Now, in this particular case, because of what is happening and what has happened, uh, with the rapid takeover by the Taliban, they're in very fast grave danger. And so what, what we need to do is be able to expedite getting those people out um, to a safe place. A lot of these people have gone through years and years of either war or abuse by governments. So much trauma that I imagine that's part of the I guess, rebuilding process when they come to the U.S. Absolutely. In Afghanistan, a country that has been at war for over 40 years and has been at war with direct involvement with the United States for 20 years, there is an extreme amount of trauma, fear that many people have been living with for a long time. Trauma is, it, it is definitely something that people bring with them. And, and it affects the ability uh, to, you know, start a new life. And, and those things have to be addressed. I know a lot of people are looking to help, um, whether they have um, relatives in Afghanistan or not. How can people in the community help this process alone? There are a lot of ways you can get involved. First, when we talk about the people who are still trying to get to safety, please connect with your, with your representatives uh, to ensure that as Americans, we keep our promise and that we take care of the people that helped us uh, in Afghanistan. And then locally, wherever you are in California, uh, there are likely resettlement agencies near you. And I would reach out to reach out to those agencies. There are volunteer opportunities. Right now, with the number of people coming from Afghanistan, there are many different ways to get involved, donations of household goods, financial donations, or using your time. So there are a lot of different ways where you can get involved and help this situation. Carrie Hamm is Director of World Relief Sacramento. Carrie, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Keith. Support for the California Report comes from the law firm Perkins Coie, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at PerkinsCOIE.com. Paint Care, now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at PaintCare.org. 
and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And that is the California Report for this Wednesday, August 18th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. In regional news, Nevada County Public Health has confirmed 136 new COVID-19 cases today. 25 people are hospitalized, three in ICU. Nevada County Public Health Officer Dr. Scott Kellerman has issued an order requiring all individuals, regardless of vaccination status, to wear face coverings when indoors in public settings and businesses. The order also strongly recommends that everyone, regardless of vaccination status, wear face coverings outdoors in crowded settings. The order goes into effect at 12.01 a.m. on Friday, August 20th. Additionally, the order clarifies that all schools, private or public, and settings where students from more than one household gather for purposes of education must follow the requirements of the California Department of Public Health. The health officer's orders come on the heels of soaring case rates and hospitalizations connected to the highly infectious Delta variant, which has been labeled younger, sicker, quicker, in comparison to the original virus. Case rates have risen over 11-fold, from 55 to 61.2 per 100,000 residents since the statewide transition on June 15th. The reason for it is we have 61.2 cases per day per 100,000, which put us uh, second highest in the state of California as far as counties go. If we go back to the original blueprint, when we went beyond the blueprint, Governor Gavin Newsom's order June 15th, at that time we had 5.5 per 100,000. 11-fold increase in case count since then. If you look at the original blueprint, the cutoff for being in a purple tier, which is the most restrictive, was 10 per 100,000. We've done pretty good. We worked our way down to the orange tier. We all felt real good about that, but we'd be firmly in, in the purple tier if we were back with the old blueprint. So if we talk about what's happened since then, you know, School started a couple of days ago. The fair transpired. Houses of worship are open. Restaurants are doing well with their business. Theaters open. And people are out and about. But we have this high level of virus. And what's the simplest way that we could figure out to deal with this virus? And it was masking. Real simple. The Sacramento Bee reports conditions have gotten so bad on the Caldor fire burning in El Dorado County that Cal Fire transferred 30 engines early Wednesday from the Dixie Fire. The fire as of this morning has grown to over 53,000 acres, more than eight times bigger than the 6,500 acres reported 24 hours earlier, according to Cal Fire's Amador El Dorado unit. The blaze grew more than 30,000 acres overnight, continuing extreme fire behavior for a second straight night as winds rocketed the fire dangerously close to well-populated communities along Highway 50 and surrounding areas. At 12.52 p.m. today, Ubinet reported the Grass Valley Air Attack Base was closing due to near-zero visibility. As of 4.45, CAL FIRE confirms this is still the case. When reached for a comment, a CAL FIRE dispatcher said they had been socked in, with takeoffs being hit or miss very intermittently, depending upon visibility conditions. And now for regional weather and your air quality index. The National Weather Service has issued a red flag warning through Thursday for the Grass Valley, Nevada City, and Sacramento regions due to gusty winds and low humidity. 
This, combined with extremely dry fuels, will bring critical fire weather conditions. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, widespread haze and smoke with a low around 61. Tomorrow, widespread haze and patchy smoke before 11 a.m., then sunny with a high near 86. Current air quality is unhealthy with an AQI of 167. Tomorrow, unhealthy with a potential AQI of 168. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, widespread haze with a low around 39. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 74. Current air quality is unhealthy with an AQI of 158. Tomorrow, unhealthy with a potential AQI of 159. And for our friends to the south in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, widespread haze and smoke with a low around 61. Tomorrow, widespread haze, areas of smoke before 11 a.m. with a high near 94. Current air quality is unhealthy with an AQI of 166. Tomorrow, moderate with a potential unhealthy AQI of 158. Up next, Felton Pruitt speaks to the Executive Director of Nevada City Chamber of Commerce, Stuart Baker. The two discuss updates on local events, including the Nevada City Film Festival and Constitution Day, and new plans for downtown Nevada City. We're talking with Stuart Baker. He's the Executive Director of the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us, Stuart. Great. Thanks, Felton. So we've got a whole bunch to uh, get going here. What's the first thing on your list of uh, things to do and tell people about? Yeah, so uh, we have one update regarding the Nevada City Film Festival. Unfortunately, with the recent surge in COVID cases in western Nevada County, the festival has migrated to what it has been in the last year, and that was uh, streaming online. So you're able to stream the various movies from the 27th of August until the 12th of September. And All of the in-person events have been canceled, unfortunately. So if you go through the festival website, you'll see a lot of fabulous, uh, interesting, uh, unique films that you can't find anywhere else. So uh, definitely check that out. You know, it would, I think it would be a very worthwhile experience. Unfortunate news coming down on uh, Tuesday afternoon that the film festival is going to have to go virtual like it was last year here in Nevada City. You know, we thought we might have been done with all this COVID stuff, and now we're getting hit pretty hard right now. What is the thinking with the Chamber right now as far as uh, moving forward with uh, events that draw a lot of people together? We're watching things closely, and we're taking advice from different health sources, uh, health authorities, as to what is the best approach. You know, we ask that folks, when they come into the Chamber office, they mask up, and I know it's this asking a great deal of patience for folks because, like you said, we thought it was all done and uh, we're, we're not quite there yet. But, you know, the, we, we just completed the summer nights, the three Wednesdays in July, and that was a great success. We ended up having very similar numbers as we had in years past, which was great, and it was outdoors. I think we'll be a little more cautious when there's events that are happening inside, and we're hoping that this will pass or uh, be not quite so much of a challenge when the uh, winter days arrive. Well, speaking of planning for stuff outside, we've got Constitution Day coming up in the legendary Constitution Day Parade. What's the word on that? 
everything is scheduled to go as planned as it has been in the past. We actually expect more entries this year than ever before because the organizers have uh, tapped into some state uh, groups that are planning on participating. So we're really looking forward to that. And uh, all of the, the, the favorites will be there. And uh, I, I think it's especially poignant with some of the challenges that we've seen on the national front to remind ourselves of, uh, you know, the importance of the Constitution that we all live and abide by. So that's, uh, yeah, and that's coming on the 18th and 19th of September. And the parade then would be on Sunday the 19th, I assume? Correct, yes. And uh, the Rotary Club and the Duck Race is, is still scheduled to happen too, so that should be happening as planned. So we're all looking forward to that. And, of course, the famous marching presidents as well. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I don't think that weekend would be complete without that event, for sure. Some smaller things happen in the, in the next few days. Java John's, the coffee house on Broad Street, is having a one-year anniversary, and they're having games night and all sorts of, of events to celebrate that. There's a new exhibition at the Nissanon Art Gallery, the Arts and Culture Center on Broad Street as well. And the show is called Visibility Through Art Destruction of the Land. And then uh, lastly, what I have is on the 25th is at the Miners Foundry, there's a group called Jenny Don't and the Spurs. So they're coming on the 25th at 8 p.m. at the Miners Foundry. I think since the last time we talked, the National Hotel has opened up and become such an important part of our downtown. Absolutely. It's beautiful. It's really the centerpiece of downtown Nevada City now. I think the choice of the chocolate colored is just really classic, and, uh, and the balcony being reopened, it's really something that kind of go, well, all right, we had some challenges during COVID, but they did a lot of fantastic work during that time, too, and we're reaping the benefits now. Any changes to the parking situations on our streets, like Commercial Street or uh, Spring Street? So City Council is considering extending. We currently have outdoor dining, uh, the little parklets that have popped up in front of restaurants to help folks be able to sit outside and enjoy a meal. And that is uh, currently scheduled through Labor Day, and Council is looking forward to the potential of extending it. Uh, we're also, the process is happening for the closure of Commercial Street, at least on a part-time basis, to vehicle traffic. So that's an evolving process that a lot of people are giving their opinions on, et cetera. And uh, so those are, yeah, those are some nice changes. So, you know, the parking is impacted to a small degree, but I think from what I hear from the merchants, they're really appreciative to be able to have this option because it means the difference of being able to stay open or not, you know, and on the certain times. We still have the big lot up on uh, the top part of Commercial Street and, uh, you know, different parts of town. So it just means a chance to get a little bit more exercise if you aren't able to park right <laughs> by the uh, location you're going to. Anything else you want folks to know about, Stuart? I guess the last thing, it's the farmer's market every Saturday, and that's happening through December so uh, that's always a great stroll and, uh, and just checking out the, the local scene. So that's, uh, yeah, I think that covers it. All right. We've been talking with Stuart Baker. He's the executive director of the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce. We wish you the best, Stuart. Great. Thanks so much. Talk to you later, Felton. Military and healthcare chaplain Norris Burks closes out tonight's newscast with a commentary on perspective. 
Hi, this is Chaplain Norris Burks coming to you with another edition of Spirituality in Everyday Life. I want to ask you a question today. Do you think Jesus cares if you say crap? Now, if you think that's an odd beginning for a spirituality program, imagine how I felt in 1978 when Dr. Richard Cutter asked the question of my Greek language class at Baylor University. Now, Cutter just casually posed the question after hearing my classmate John attempt to translate a passage from Plato. For a second-year Greek student, John was slightly more clueless than I was, but he is to be commended for that gallant effort he made that day. After three agonizing minutes, Dr. Cutter interrupted John to ask us all, Do you think Jesus would be okay with us saying the word crap? Now, Cutter knew most of his students were headed to a Southern Baptist seminary, so he quickly launched into a story to justify his random question. A freshman girl, he said, recently told me that she was offended by my use of the word crap. The girl told her professor that Jesus wouldn't want him saying crap. Apparently, her East Texas church upbringing taught her that crap was an expletive. Amen, sister, I thought back then. My Southern Baptist pastor dad wouldn't even let me say darn. Now, Cutter told us he apologized to the co-ed, but explained to her how he was raised on a Kansas farm, a place where the term described everything from the piles scattered in the pasture to defining the church budget. Hoping his folksy story had planted the seeds of understanding, he repeated his polling question to our class. Now... How many of you think that crap is a bad word? We wisely exercised our right to silence. This was our second year with Cutter, and most of us recognized the sound of both barrels being loaded. Great, he said, before gripping John's desktop with both hands. John, he said, staring into his eyes, that translation was a bunch of crap. Now, what Cutter was so colorfully illustrating is something called a regional sin. These sins may offend the sensibilities of certain regions or communities, but they may not be offensive in other communities. Regional sins are good to know when you're traveling through other lands, but the girl's question exposes a downside to paying them too much heed. The downside is we, like Dr. Cutter's inquisitor, sometimes use these regional do's and don'ts to define our standard of faith. When we do that, our faith vision blurs, and we start seeing ourselves as doubly better than others. For instance, I often heard the ministerial students joke in my Greek class, I don't cuss, drink, or chew, nor date girls who do. Now, that's probably a good health practice, but these three negatives say nothing of the depth of our faith. Faith is better understood when you leave the regional list of do's and don'ts at home and you replace them with true elements of faith. Now, Moses did a pretty good job of condensing hundreds of do's and don'ts into something called the Ten Commandments, but Jesus gave Moses' commandments an upgrade with Faith 2.0 when he emphasized the two most important of the ten. He said our faith should hang on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, And number two, love your neighbor as yourself. There were no long lists of complicated regional sins or indecipherable assembly instructions. There are only two things Jesus wants us to do. The two commandments are inextricably bound. 
You can't follow one commandment to the neglect of the other. So, at the end of the day, I think Dr. Cutter, with his colorful language, was trying to tell us that if you try building your faith on anything less than these two commandments, your faith will just translate into a bunch of crap. The views expressed on this show are those of the speakers only and are not necessarily those of KVMR, our board, staff, volunteers, or contributors. We get support from Three Forks Bakery and Brewing Company in Nevada City, a craft brewery, artisan bakery, and farm-to-table restaurant, utilizing local, seasonal produce for organic soups, sandwiches, salads, and wood-fired pizzas. Open 8 to 8, Wednesday through Monday, threeforksnc.com.